Treasure you. 
Let's pray together. Lord, what a blessing that we can come to you. That we can come to you and you receive us. Lord, what a blessing that we can come together and to openly read your word and to study your word and hear your word proclaimed. Lord, what a blessing that you've sent your Holy Spirit And not only did your Holy Spirit inspire the writing of your word, your Holy Spirit inspires the proclamation of your word. And Lord, I am a weak vessel. And it's only by your Spirit that I might possibly proclaim your word today. So come, Holy Spirit. Speak in me and through me. Speak beyond what even I know to speak and speak into the hearts of your people. We ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. We're continuing in John, and John chapter 14. We looked at a couple verses last week. I want to back up and read those, and then we're going to read through the sixth verse. And then next week, we'll pick back up a little farther down and Uh, Look at the promise of the Holy Spirit and uh, the commandment that Jesus gives that if you love me, uh, you'll keep all of my commandments. But today, John 14, verses 1 to 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Thanks be to God. For his holy word. Amen. Well, my college roommate, John, was a classmate and a, and a friend from my hometown. And we were fortunate to be roommates all the way through college except for one semester. And as I share this story, you must remember that, that John and I are from a very small town. Uh, a town uh, much like Stewart. And in fact, at that time, smaller than Stewart uh, is now. So moving to Raleigh and driving in Raleigh traffic was a big deal for both of us. So much so that our freshman year, when we decided to go home to to see our family, we never went over to Durham and took I-85. We were just scared of I-85. So we would take Highway 64 and, and run through Asheboro, and, and then when we got near Salisbury, we had to jump on 85 for just, just a few miles. That's the way we typically went home. One weekend, John was going home, and he decided that he was going to brave I-85 from Durham to Salisbury. 
And even then, getting to I-85 from Raleigh over towards Durham was kind of convoluted. It was difficult uh, if you'd never done it before. Of course, now it's, it's in some ways easier, but in other ways worse, because you go by the airport and through Research Triangle and all the traffic that is there. But I wasn't with John this particular weekend, but when he got back to school on Sunday, he told me about his adventure. He managed to make it to I-85. And remember, we had no GPS uh, in those days, but he managed to get to I-85. But somehow he ended up going north on I-85 instead of south. And, and you may think, no big deal. I mean, you just go up uh, one exit or so and, and you turn around and come back. Oh, no. John went all the way on I-85 until he hit the Virginia state line. Then... He realized he was going the wrong way, and he turned around. If John or some of our high school classmates happen to be listening to this this morning, I am not making fun of John, because all of us were so naive and so small town, we could have done the same thing at 18 years old. After living in Raleigh, multiple years and becoming more familiar with the highways, John and I would sometimes laugh about this incident and say, how could you drive that far going the wrong way without realizing it before you turned around? John, after all, went on to earn a civil engineering degree and he served as an officer in the United States Army, uh, which included two tours in the Middle East. But at that time, John and I were just both small town boys who had rarely driven out of Cleveland, North Carolina, and when we did, our parents were with us. All of us have probably looked back at something similar, and we've laughed at ourselves and thought, how could I be so stupid? How how did I make such a mistake? I wonder if the disciples ever looked back at those three years with Jesus, and yeah, they laughed, But they must have also asked, how in the world did I do something so bonehead? I mean, why didn't I get what Jesus was saying? Peter must have asked, why did I go and profess such unwavering commitment and then turn around and deny Jesus three times? Truly, Nathaniel thought, did I really say that nothing good has ever come out of Nazareth? I mean, did I say that to Jesus? Philip later in our chapter of John says to Jesus, show us the Father. I mean, Philip at some point must have said the equivalent of, you idiot? Did you really say to Jesus, the Son of God, show me the Father? He's God in the flesh. And then there's Thomas. After all the times Jesus had talked about his resurrection, how did he di- why did he doubt until he saw the scars and placed his hands in them? And in our text, Jesus has been talking about heaven. And he's told them, well, you know the way. And what did Thomas ask, verse 5? We don't know where you're going, Jesus. I mean, how do we know the way? He must have thought later, how thick-headed can you be? How can we know the way? Really? 
Did I ask that? I should have known Jesus was talking about heaven, and I should have known full well that he is the way. You know, I, I kind of feel sorry for the disciples sometimes. But at the same time, I'm so gr very grateful for the disciples because they're very human. And I think if God could use a bunch of guys like them, then just maybe he could use a dunce like me. Further, they often ask the questions that you and I would have asked if we'd been there. And because of their questions, think about it, because of their questions, we have some of the greatest teachings in Scripture. Jesus' answer to Thomas is surely one of those great moments and also one of the most controversial to our culture and to cultures throughout the centuries. Verse 6, Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, people love Jesus, the wise sage. They love Jesus, the one who loves and, and hangs out with all kinds of people. People love the Jesus who heals and, and makes life better. People love the Jesus who says to the woman called in adultery, neither do I condemn you. But they're not very fond of the Jesus who says to the same woman in that same sentence, go and sin no more. In our text, it is for some one of the most hated statements of Jesus. Make no mistake, if you preach and teach and believe in the full Jesus and all of his teachings, including this teaching, you will not be very popular with much of our world. This teaching is deemed too exclusive. I've even had a person who, who claimed to be a Christian tell me, they, he said, you preachers talk about this way too much. You preachers say way too often that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Well, beloved, it's not my desire to offend anyone, but I hope that as long as I have breath in my lungs, that I will preach and teach and believe by the grace of God, the whole counsel of God's Word, including those texts which are difficult. And I want to remind us all up front that I didn't say this. I did not say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No, the Lord Jesus Christ said that. And He has the authority. And He has the wisdom of God to say that. And if He's going to be our Lord and Savior, then our calling is to believe what He said and what He taught, even when we don't like it. I'm not urging us to be rude. Jesus taught us to be loving. The Apostle Paul taught us to, to be kind and patient and peaceable and gentle. But at the same time, neither Jesus nor Paul nor any of the disciples nor any of the New Testament writers ever shied away from the gospel truth. So I want to look briefly this morning at what Jesus was teaching us here. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life? No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, first of all, it is 
exclusive. I believe Jesus was very intentional when he chose to use the definite article, the. Jesus is not a way, a truth, a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. There are not multiple ways and truths and lives. There's not multiple ways that lead to a right relationship with the Father. And that's why Jesus followed up this statement by saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one who leads us to the Father. There's only one who is the way and the truth and the life. So Jesus' claim is exclusive. It is. But it need not be offensive. For Jesus, in his mercy and grace and love, is the solution we all need. He's the solution to our dilemma. Adam and Eve had a perfect way. God walked with them in the garden and they enjoyed intimate communion with God. They knew God and they knew the truth about God. They also possess life. But when they fell, all of humankind was plunged into alienation from God and falsehood and death. And Jesus offers the only solution. Instead of alienation, he's the way to God. Instead of falsehood, he's the truth. Instead of death, he is life. Beloved, this is the gospel. This is good news. This is the greatest of all news. So let's look at it just a little more, what it means to be the way and the truth and the life. Because I think it's wonderful good news instead of seeking to be offensive. It's the best news. What does it mean to say that Jesus is the way? Well, he's primarily the way to the Father. That's what we primarily mean, is that he's the way to the Father. He's he's the way from total ruin and condemnation and alienation from God, which sin has caused. He's the only way to right relationship with the Father. He's the way to freedom from the guilt of sin. Think about that with me. Uh, for a minute. If you and I could stop sinning right now, it's impossible, but if we could, if right now we could cut off all, all the sin in our lives and never sin again, we would still be guilty of past sin. But Jesus takes that sin away. The guilt is gone because Jesus took it upon the cross. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You you see, Jesus is the only way because He's the only way to clear us from the guilt of our sin. He's the only one who can do it. Next, Jesus says he's the truth. He's the truth about the Father, which includes all other truth, by the way. And we should know that Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to tell you about the truth. He doesn't say, I'm going to point you to the truth. He says, no, I am the truth. Whereas he says elsewhere, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is saying, if you want the truth about God, then look at me. 
And, and from Jesus, you and I learn that God is personal, that God is not just a force in the universe or a disembodied spirit. Yes, God is spirit, but through Jesus, we've learned to speak of God as a person. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. We also learn that God is holy. God's a God of mercy and love. We learn that God is slow to anger. We learn that He doesn't wish that any should perish. We learn that God wants us to be with Him. He delights in us. He wants us as His children. Jesus and the Bible are God's special revelation of the truth about God. And then Jesus is the life. The Bible is very clear that because of sin, you and I are dead. We're spiritually dead. We're alienated from God and the life He wants to give us. But in Jesus, we can have new life. Perhaps Paul said it most succinctly when he write, wrote in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, what you and I have earned is death. But what we have not earned but, but has been gifted to us is eternal life. I can't help but raise an eyebrow when people say I'm living my best life. I know what you mean by that. But if this is your best life, you're in trouble. I believe the best is yet to come for those who believe Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Reverend Billy Graham told a story, and perhaps you've heard it before, about a time very early in his ministry. And he arrived in a, in a little small town to preach, a town not much bigger probably than Stewart. And he wanted to mail a letter. And so he asked a young boy where the post office was. And the boy told him, and Reverend Graham invited the boy to come hear him speak that night on how to get to heaven. And the boy shook his head and said, Mister, if you don't know your way to the post office, you sure don't know your way to heaven. Now, I'm quite sure, uh, though Reverend Graham didn't know the way to the post office, he knew the way to heaven. And one of the things I've always admired about his ministry is he never wavered in preaching, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Yes, it's exclusive, but it need not be offensive. It's the gospel. It's good news for all who will believe. If you believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life this morning, I pray that you will never waver, never waver in believing that truth and teaching that truth and sharing that with others. If you do not believe, if you do not, I pray that this is the day that you would come to believe that Jesus is indeed the way and the truth and the life. 
I pray that this would be the day that you come to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't know that I've done a very good job of expressing what I wanted to express today, but I just pray that whether it be here in the sanctuary or someone listening at home or someone who, who might listen later this week or even months down the road, that you would penetrate their hearts. That by your Holy Spirit, you would show them that you are the way and the truth and the life. That you'd show them that, that, that they can't come to you apart from Jesus. And Lord, while that's exclusive, help us to not be offensive in it, but to love people as we show them that you're the way and the truth and the life and model it ourselves. I pray this morning that if we already know that, that we would not waver, that we would walk committed unto you, and that we would indeed share the good news of the gospel, that you, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, the life. And no one can come to God except through you. May that be what we preach, teach, model, and believe. In Christ's holy name, amen.
I didn't think about it until I saw this. There is a Redeemer was an early uh, contemporary Christian song way back in the day, uh, written by Melody Green. Uh, and her husband, Keith Green, was uh, very devoted to sharing the gospel. Uh, in fact, she's written a book about his life uh, called No Compromise, which is worth uh, reading. But I believe I remember correct, he actually died in a plane crash as he was leaving to tell people again that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and forevermore. Amen.